0: BLOB TALK RADIO What I said yesterday I know what I said last night It was supposed to be the last show of 2021 Well The holidays are still here And I had to be A nice guy So One of my guests was supposed to be The tactical manager Podcast host, Filippo Silva Uh, He had an an emergency To take care of um, For, you know, and you know, he felt bad and he still wanted to do uh, his show. And I said, this is the show. And I said, sure. Why not? Why not? Let's go ahead. Let's do it. Let us enjoy ourselves right now because this is the conversation I wanted to have about the U.S. men's national team, some of the sticking points I've had about this national team. Uh, who else but the tactical manager? show host, the one and only Filippo Silva, in a recorded interview, and I'm not going to waste your time, here it is right now. Welcome back to the American Soccer Show, ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein, joined by the one and only tactical manager, Mr. Filippo Silva, he's been very well known through YouTube, uh, Max Breos' Soccer OG podcast, where I heard him talk with him with Max about American soccer and it's great to have him on the show. Uh, Filippo, thank you for your time and welcome.
1: Thank you, Daniel, for having me. Thank you very much. Um, and that was quite an introduction, too.
0: Hey, I try to give you the best introduction you've ever had.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, anyway, uh, glad to have you on uh, because I want to talk about the U.S. men's national team and also maybe a little bit of CONCACAF as well. But anyway, Um, Starting off with the U.S. men's national team, through these first eight World Cup qualifiers, what have you seen from this group that has really impressed you? And at the same time, what do you think they need to do to improve on where they stand right now in the octagonal table?
1: So clearly one thing we need to improve right away is It's very straightforward. It's far away performances, right? They just haven't been good. We got that away win against Honduras, but it was very shaky in the first half as well. And and along with that, the other games weren't as good. At home, we were able to put some, I don't want to say outstanding, but some very strong performances, right? The one against Costa Rica, I thought we played very well. Against Jamaica at home, we played very well. And I don't even need to talk about the Cerro, right, with Mexico. But just one thing that I want to ask you. you: you asked me one player that stood out, or something more broad that stood
0: out. Well, any anything like any play or anything broad. I mean, what do you feel you, you or what do you believe uh, that that stood out? Whether it's combination play, um, you know how the defense has played, our attacking midfield, our defensive midfield, our strikers situation. Where do you feel our strengths are right now?
1: Got it, so adding to that then to uh, strengths and issues. Strengths is we always attack through the flanks, right? The, our plays usually the, the, were the most dangerous on the wings, whether it is with Christian Pulisic, whether it is with Tim Weah, he was probably the most dangerous winger. But just to go for our strengths, I think our young core, right? We've seen that experience is important, but talent is always more important than experience when, talent, when the talent gap is so big. So I think one thing that stood out for me that is something we hadn't seen before because of lack of opportunity and sometimes Greg Berhalder just didn't want to play them together, it's the so-called MMA midfield, right? I thought it was a big difference maker when we saw Weston and Tyler in the midfield alongside Eunice Musa. I think they all complement each other very well. Tyler Adams being a more defensive-minded midfielder that can do, like, simple passes, and protect the back line very well. West McKenna, a more dynamic box-to-box midfielder that covers a lot of ground and is very dangerous coming into the box. Scored against Mexico, again, another dos de And then Eunice Musa that brings something a little bit different, right? Very strong in transition, very good on the ball, good in distribution, very technical player that uses athleticism, technique, and soccer IQ all to his advantage. But I think that midfield, when we saw them playing together, it was something special. Now, something lacking to me is creativity through the middle. I haven't really seen our team create much through the middle, even with that midfield. Even when we have Eunice Musa, West and Entire, you don't see much creativity through the middle. And that is a very Burhalter thing, right? Berhalter loves to play on that 4-3-3 formation, and you see a pattern of play where the ball goes from the goalkeeper to center backs to the sixth, from the sixth to the fullbacks, and the fullbacks look to go long or we look to restart the play. Right, we've seen this pattern a few times. It's obviously not the only the way we play, but I've seen this pattern of play a few times that i pointed out. And it seems like our main thing is attacking through the flanks, which we've been very dangerous, but when it comes to maybe breaking a low block and trying to create the middle, a guy that can do an incisive passing, uh, we haven't had that yet. Uh, maybe Giovanni Rain in the middle can be a solution to it. I just haven't seen it in and- going to your question, because I'm talking so much, it's um, that is something I'd like to see improve, um, that creativity to the middle. I don't know if it'll improve. It's just something I'd like to see.
0: No, I understand that. I mean, we all have our visions of what the U.S. men's national team should be like, and how they should attack the ball, and how they should defend the ball. Um, and the one thing I do like is seeing Musa attacking. Actually, I love Tim Weah right now. How he built himself from the early moments of his, of his game where he was consistently being injured all the time. Now he's been doing it so well for Lil. He's grown. He's become dangerous, like you said, from the wing, curling in beautiful balls, especially the ball to Christian Pulisic for the first goal against Mexico. And, of course, the goal he scored down in Jamaica. I really see Tim Weah, and, of course, I call him football royalty because of his father, of course, uh, yeah. George Weah. Um I, I really think he's growing into being something special for this men's national team.
1: The problem with Weah, not to stay too long on him, just to add to you, the problem was like, Weah is just turning 22 next year, right? So he's super young, and people were holding these huge expectations when he was at PSG, the Celtic loan, and they were calling him a bust when he was, like, 20, when he was 19. So I think what's happening with Wea is a little bit of what he said. He's maturing, um, becoming a player, getting ready, right? The talent is there. And <laughs> if he got half the talent his dad got, oh, we're blessed to have him.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there about uh Wea. Moving forward, now I want to go to the goalkeeper position, and let's just say it's a pet peeve of mine here. And because I am a firm believer that if you are going to be the starting goalkeeper for this U.S. men's national team, it's not enough for a certain player to whether it's an MLS uh, domestically or one of the best leagues in the world internationally, you have to be the starter. You must have starting minutes. I know you're training with some of the best players in the world, but to me, that's not enough. And yes, I am talking about um, Zach Steffen. I'm not saying that I don't think he's a world-class keeper. I'm just saying that he's not a starter at Manchester City. That is Ederson from Brazil. Why is it so many people are so hung up on having Zach Steffen start when he is not the starter at Manchester City?
1: So I think it's a couple of things to it, right? One comes down to how Greg wants to play. And if you look into how Greg wants to play, Greg does want to build out of the back. He he doesn't want to do this kickball style of play, which I have a lot of criticism of Greg, but I can respect that. I do prefer us to play some enjoyable soccer, right? Try to pass it around and outplayed the opponent. The words Greg used, I think, when he took over the U.S. was, we want to disorganize the opponent's ball. To play the way Greg wants to play, you do need a goalkeeper that has a better touch, that has better distribution, uh, that is more technical with his feet as well, not just the shot-stopping ability. Because I think when it comes to shot-stopping, Matt Turner and Zach Steffen are sensational. Uh, I, I understand what you mean by he has to be starting, and I From my Brazilian side, I I would think that way as well. But the problem is Matt Turner, as good as he is as a goalkeeper, as a shot stopper, we've seen how he can play with his feet. Um, It's just toe ball, the touch is heavy, it's dangerous. You can't play out of the back. And We saw that in Gold Cup, right? Greg started Gold Cup trying to play that way out of the back. Once he made that adjustment... The team started to play a little bit better and get the wins in the playoffs. And Matt Turner stood out because he was doing what he's good at. He shot stopping. We've seen what he can do. And then when you move out of that, Zach Stesson, um and Matt Turner, I think the gap between those two and the next ones, which would probably be Sean Johnson, Horvath that's not playing. So that kind of goes with what you are saying. Uh, Ethan Horvath. And then we have some young players. So it's pretty clear that Zach Steffen and Turner are the two battling out for it, and I think it has more to do with that. The, the gap between them playing out of the back, you know some people disagree with it, just by the eye test you see it. There is a big gap in terms of that. Now, we could even argue that maybe Matt Turner is a better shot stopper, and I wouldn't really argue with you in terms of that. It is a strong argument. But it's not that big of a gap. That, that's that's the whole point of it. I personally prefer Zach Steffen. I understand your point, though, in regards to him not playing. And I think it does affect Zach Steffen because we've seen him be shaky at times with the men's national team. And that, to me, is just the fact that he's not playing, right? As a goalkeeper, you need to be extremely sharp at all moments. It's a different position. It's a position where mistakes, you get punished right away, right? A striker can, can, can miss goals. A goalkeeper can't mess up in the back. So... I understand your point, but that's the reason I think why people back Stephanie.
0: Yeah, because I mean the goal against Costa Rica, uh, with the opening minutes in Columbus, he comes well off his line, he steps out of his area, tries to head the ball out, and then he's scrambling to go back to the line and when he, as soon as he turns around, boom, it's in the back of the net. And even against Jamaica where to be honest, it should have been Jamaica should have won at two one. You know, normally I don't you know, I don't wanna see uh, our guys get scored on, but, you know, let's be fair, that was a legitimate goal. that got taken away by the referee with no VAR to overturn it. And Stefan's been, you know, even when with Columbus, he's been erratic in his own area, scrambling, running all over the place, sometimes even forcing to restart uh, play. As you said, he's trying to build from the back, and sometimes he forces that too much. And I think that's the one problem I'm having with Zach Steffen. Other than that, I think he's fine.
1: Yeah, well, against Jamaica, as much as people try to blame his footwork for Antonio's goal, I think sometimes people don't understand the rocket that a shot is from, from Antonio. They're uh, one of the strongest and best players in the Premier League, surprisingly, actually, this season. I don't think he failed in the first goal, and the second goal, uh, I agree with you, that was a goal. In my opinion, I didn't see anything illegal in that play. I didn't, and I'm glad you didn't see it as well, so we don't even have to talk about that. I just didn't see it being really Zach Stephens' fault, right? He probably thought Zimmerman was on that, which Zimmerman seemed like he was, and he claimed he was pushed, but he wasn't. Uh, but back to it, it's... um. It's, it's just that the second option doesn't really match what Greg wants to play. It doesn't. Make, and, and, again, I would be comfortable with Turner starting if we only need a shot stopper, if we need a player. And Zach Steffen was key against Mexico, right? The dos Acero. Zach Steffen was key in that game, not just from the save that he stopped Chucky Lozano from opening the scoreboard. Because if Mexico gets the lead, who knows what would have happened in that game. Maybe we would have lost, right, even though we were playing – fine, Mexico could have won that game. He gets that save, and he was key for the way we were pressing, right? If you're going to press that high up the field, you need to have a goalkeeper that can come out of the goal as well as Stefan. You need a goalkeeper that can play out of the back if you need. If you need to put the ball back, he can quickly put it on the floor and distribute it. So I think in the parts of tactics, he's very key to that. Matt Turner, you get a little bit, you're limited to it. But, but again, um, I think we're well served with both. If and, and I mean, actually, they've proven that to us, right? Turner, when we needed him in Gold Cup, he was—I believe—was he the best player in the Gold Cup? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he was, or at least the best goalkeeper, at least the best, But I think he was also chosen the best player, or at least no, actually, he was the best goalkeeper. I think they rigged it and gave it to Hector to hit, for some reason um, with the award. But I will personally still go, Stefan, even though he's not playing consistently. Manchester City playing one or two games a month, roughly, when he plays FA Cup, League Cup, or at least he plays last Champions League game because Manchester City was already set. The Manchester City fans love him as well. They rate him very highly. And and again, the way I try to see it as well is I understand your argument, too. It doesn't matter that he's training with the best in the world. And um, from a skill judgment standpoint, I agree with that. From a long-term, no. I think that is what is best for him. But remember, this is a goalkeeper that Pep Guardiola trusts that if Ederson goes down for whatever reason, that's the goalkeeper he's going to have to go with to try to win the Champions League, the Premier League. So if Pep trusts this guy on the ball, and remember Pep Guardiola sent Joe Hart away. He had no problem sending the English goalkeeper away when he arrived in Manchester City. So he does trust Zach Stefan to that. I'll trust Zach Stefan as well in that sense. I think he he'll, he has to be ready to play and I think he'll show up when time comes. But he has some time as well.
0: No, I agree with you. I mean, look, I I trust him too. But my problem is, of course, you know, the regular playing time. And I've even mentioned this. I've even said, you know, maybe you should send him out on loan and just let him play a couple of games. And then when when Pep Guardiola is ready to bring him back... So be it. So, I mean, I just... Pep
1: never uh, will. Pep never will, though, because Ederson, I think Ederson's even younger or the same age as Zach Steffen. He's just going to keep Ederson. But but the thing is, Pep Guardiola, because of the money Manchester City has, he's never going to let Zach Steffen go unless someone buys him. Because Pep Guardiola knows he needs a reliable backup, and he knows Zach Stefan is that what's going to happen is Zach Speston has to eventually be willing to say to them, like, look, I'm good enough to start for many top clubs. I need to go. I can't be the back of your first. If you remember, well, um, Tim Howard went through that. Remember Manchester United yep. as well? He was he wasn't on the bench, and then eventually he left, and we saw how good, in my opinion, the best goalkeeper the U.S. has ever had um, and one of the best goalkeepers of his generation in the world in general in so that's eventually what happened. Uh, it's it's a phase for Zach Stefan. Uh, I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper. Manchester City fans also rate him very highly. And again, Pep Guardiola, if Zach Stefan leaves, trust me, you're going to replace him with a high quality goalkeeper to be the backup as well. So he he let Joe Hart go. That's not easy in England when you let go. He was a goalkeeper for the national team at the time. So. I would still go with Zach right there too, unless we had another goalkeeper. I I, I did at one point think about Ethan Horvath because I thought he was going to start for Nottingham Forest. That was a major disappointment to me. hmm. because um, if Ethan was starting, from what we saw in Nations League, he looked pretty good. Oh yeah. And he was starting, but Ethan is. I don't. I don't understand that transfer. So I don't even want to get into that. I don't understand it.
0: Yeah. No, I understand what you're coming from. Uh, one more player, obviously Brendan Aronson. How he's turned. Up the heat. And how he's adjusted so quickly to the international game has been unbelievable. I mean, we all saw him with the Philadelphia Union and how good he was in that midfield. Then all of a sudden he goes to Red Bull Salzburg in the Austrian Bundesliga. And then he gets selected for a couple of friendlies. And now look what he's doing. Uh, I mean, what a quick transformation. Probably the quickest transformation I've ever seen a player, especially an American... To go from an MLS club to a European club where, okay, you know, Austrian football, it's not as big as German football, that's fine, whatever. But, I mean, to see him adjust so quickly to it and now being a threat in the midfield has been unbelievable.
1: And just to add to what you said there, too, um, Austrian is definitely not Bundesliga, but Brendan is also doing it in the Champions League, So, which is... The highest level, right? He's playing the Champions League, and his team is in the round of sixteen. He's a lock in starter. Yeah, his uh, from what we've seen, Brendan in Philly, which he had a very good season of Philly before leaving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 then the improvement. We and then when he's in the Austrian league, we're obviously not able to follow it as closely as we follow in MLS. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't follow the Austrian league that closely. I can't care enough about it besides try to pick some games to try to watch a little bit of Brendan. And the evolution that he had without us following every single game has been quite impressive for him, right? I I still think there's a lot of parts of his game that still lack, and I think it'll continue to lack because I just don't think it's his game specifically. But the thing with Brendan is he is a key player to this team nowadays. Is he a starter? Probably not a starter with a full healthy roster. He's a player you can always count on off the bench, off an injury and tactically, he is near perfect when you need him, does exactly what you need. The work rate is amazing. He's clutch when you need goals. He's been getting goals for us, getting assists. It's been quite impressive to see how much he improved, and I think it has more to do with Brendan the person than Brendan the player, his personality, right? I, I had him at the channel, actually. I had an interview with him at the channel in, I believe, February, and we talked about that, about how he was working, improving, and I was impressed by his age, how focused he was, because I, I interview ki- like players that are kids, right? They're 18, and mm-hmm. I also interview veteran players like Terrence Boyd I brought to the channel, Eric Guinalda, a former player, right? Yep. And many of the young guys, when I talk to them, it's it's always like, okay, I'm stuck. I'm talking to a kid, so it's a little bit different, right? They're younger, uh, but Brendan looked like I was talking to a 30 year old man right there. It was was just like ready And and, and I also interviewed Paxton Aaronson Brendan's brother, younger brother Same thing, it's just I think that family The the mentality they have Is quite impressive for their age
0: I agree with you I think uh, we're lucky enough to see a generation here Especially uh, If you follow hockey or not Of course there's the Broughtons The Stahls, the Sutters Famous hockey families I think we're seeing a new famous soccer family now, you know, churning out kids and uh, doing some wonderful things on the professional level. I want to go to Greg Burhalter now because there's some good things he's been doing and, there, and I feel he's also done some bad things. But I want to go to the good things first. When did you ever see a manager on the international level defeating one opponent, three times in a calendar year, like what Greg Barhalter has done to Mexico, because I'll be honest with you, it's not that I don't trust Greg, but when you're taking on a guy like Tata Martino, who has managed both on a club level and on the international level with a player like Lionel Messi at Barcelona and Argentina... I mean, you know, how can you not go wrong with a brilliant mind like that? And what he did for Mexico so far has been very good. And I always felt Berholder had no chance against him, even when he was managing Atlanta United. Now, Greg has basically three-upped them: Nations League final, Gold Cup final, World Cup qualifier in Cincinnati how How amazing has this been?
1: No, that was definitely a positive right uh not just that two of them came with a trophy so that's um that's even extra and one of them came with our b team players right it wasn't our 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 full strength squad. And one thing I said was, it's obviously not all on Greg. The players also play a huge role in that and how good our team is now. But Greg also, if you go to the Dos Aceto in the most recent one, um, Greg's tactics also worked, right? It wasn't only the players. The pressing he did against Mexico, there were issues in the first half. And when Mexico was able to break the press, um, they were dangerous and they almost scored. But Greg's press against Pato Martino was near perfect and it helped along with the execution of the players and what I was telling a lot of people is I'm I'm fairly young, so obviously I don't have a huge lifetime to talk about this, but even though I feel like beforehand the US was so bad at soccer that this never happened before as well is I never really record in this past decade of watching the U.S. men's national team beat Mexico. Actually, outplaying Mexico. Usually, the way we would beat them is a Linda Donovan counterattack, right? Set pieces, grind it out, and then we would beat Mexico. Um, but this time, it just—it was just like there was no question. Like even, even the Nations League, I thought we had to grind it out. I thought Mexico was better. Gold Cup, I thought Mexico was a little better. But this game, I just had no doubt. I was like, there's nothing to argue here. We completely outplayed Mexico. There's absolutely nothing Mexico can say about it. It was 2-0. It could have been 3. It Ferreira missed the goal at the end. And it was the first time I saw it. So that is definitely a positive from Greg, pulling three wins against Mexico, even though we do have to remember all three were at home. we got the Azteca game coming up. Let's see what Greg can pull there as well at March.
0: Yeah, and that's the big question mark right there because I like to call it a three-match unbeaten streak. The friendly win with um, Jurgen Klinsmann and, of course, the nil-nil draw with Klinsmann in qualifying and then the Bruce Arena's 1-1 draw in qualifying. So I call it a three-match unbeaten streak at the Azteca. <laughs> and I never thought I would say that because we know how dangerous Mexico is at home. But we're seeing some issues now with Mexico going down the road. Even though there's still... Mexico, you you never know what's going to happen. But I want to get to the negativity of Greg Berhalter right now. Uh, While those first three matches in September really, really bothered me, not so much, I would say, the road match down in El Salvador, because we all know CONCACAF is always a crapshoot. We all know that when you go visit any time these these stadiums with dodgy pitches, anything south of Mexico, because we all know every stadium in Mexico, the patch, the pitches are pristine they're they're great, they're well kept, just like in MLs, Toronto, Montreal, and in Canada. Um, we have seen you know either there's there's divots in the in the field, grass is uneven you know, a bunch of junk on the pitch, whether it's there intentionally or not. I didn't mind the draw in El Salvador. But the draw against Canada was just so unforgivable because he didn't even make a sub for 40 minutes. And that goes from the injury that Dest got late in the first half all the way after Aronson scored... And Lauren scored, and you saw Herdman yeah, making hefty, subs right. and subs and subs. And he didn't do anything until the 82nd, 83rd minute, Berhalter, to make a sub. He had four left. And then, of course, that horrible first half in Honduras, before he recognized he had to turn it around.
1: actually throughout the year in terms of in-game management starting 11th election he had more bad ones than good ones if I'm going to be completely honest mm-hmm. throughout the year uh, in that in that camp even even against Honduras right the first half was scary we could have been down 2-3-0 in the first half and if we were down 2-3-0 we were not coming back from that like we did right uh, and then we would have finished the first camp three games two points we were all worried and then we went on to the second camp. There were there was that Panama game, which was that one was probably the first time I saw even the mainstream media guys get very angry with Greg. Right? Everyone was very pissed off with Greg Berhalter. Um, I would assume you were as well, especially after that Panama game. If you were with the Canada one, the Panama one, you were probably even infuriated. So there were there were more um, bad player selection, bad performances than than people talk about because of the results, right? Overall, the results in this year was good. We won Nationally, we won Gold Cup, and we're in second place in World Cup qualifying, even though I, th- I thought we should be in first, but we're still qualifying. And when you go to look into it, even when you look into the summer, we during the summer, there was only one team that we truly outplayed. Do you remember who it was?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Martinique. Mm-hmm. That was uh, yep, only, that was it.
1: Only... That was the only one we truly outplayed. It was like, okay, this game was ours. All the other games were kind of like we just found a way to win. We grinded out a win. Some some talented player just pulled a magic trick out of the hat and got us to win. And when World Cup qualifying came up, what happened was, I think you shared a similar feeling, just like many fans, was we started to see those horrendous performances happened and the results weren't coming anymore, right? Two draws, a, a win against Honduras. The second half was big, a, a big win. The first half was horrible. Then we, we go back to sec- second camp, we get a win, and then we have that horrible performance against Panama. So I think fans were just seeing that, and people are still seeing that, right? It doesn't seem like we can't consistently get good games, right? We, we go on and then we play Mexico. We beat Mendoza Cero, have an amazing game. And then we play like crap against Jamaica and we deserve to lose to Jamaica. So at the end of the day, that, that's what it is. Um, consistency. And, and Greg, Greg has to be willing to make the tough decisions. And I think a lot of the players that are his favorites, players that he very much likes, um, that he created some moments with, right, winning titles and everything, some players have to go. Some players he just has to not call up. They're not at the same level as other guys in the team. And now the question for 2022 is when push comes to shove, because we will qualify to Qatar, but when it comes to the World Cup, even though many Americans might have forgotten about it because we didn't qualify in 2018, the World Cup's a different beast. Teams have huge scouting reports on you. The level of talent is up. So what I'm saying about when push comes to shove that moment, is Greg going to do the tough decisions in 2022 and maybe leave out some of his favorites, which I to name a few, like Sebastian lejet um, Paul Riola, even though Paul Riola might lose some space with Morris coming back, I personally prefer Morris over Riola. And we have Conrad and De La Fuente that could emerge at one point. You talked about Brandon, Tim Weah, Pulisic, Reina, uh, who knows, Matthew Hoppe might figure out his situation. So will Greg in 2022 be willing to make those tough calls because he hasn't been able to this year. He doesn't want to let go of certain players. Just look at how long it took for him to let go of Jackson Ewell. And yep. maybe he still hasn't. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he still hasn't. He just played him again. Who knows?
0: I think Ewell is more like a fill in right now. More of a roster like fill in spot. I don't think he'll be using him for the World Cup, but um I think Ewell, you know, for the group that, that played against Bosnia over in Carson I just think it's just more of a... I'm just going to give you an opportunity to get some minutes and I think that's as far as it goes. Because I don't see Yule doing anything down the road right now. But you never know. If there's a major injury somewhere, he might go after him. So we'll see what happens. I like hopefully Brian not. Reynolds, though. Hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not. But I did like Brian Reynolds with his crosses. I thought he was really on point.
1: Yeah, the overlap, too. He had a nice overlap play. Uh, I, I wish we had seen more of Brian Reynolds in that game. Nothing against Brooks Lennon. It's just that this is what I was saying when I got a little angry that he played Brooks Lennon is Brooks Lennon in the short term and long term, I don't see him entering that right back position in the U.S. Men's National Team. Not in the short term, not in the long term. We have Sergio Best. We have Scully, DeAndre Edlin, Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds. We have so many options, I don't see it. And then Brian Reynolds, some people say, oh, he's not going to play either. said, so yes, in the short term, I don't see Brian Reynolds really breaking in with the other players we have. But in the long term, the kid is 20, Yep. um, struggling in Roma. Give him a break. Who knows in three years how he'll be? I think in the long term he could. So I wanted to see more of Brian against Bosnia. We got a a couple minutes. um, I think it was 30 minutes that he played or 20 minutes that he played. Uh, He looked good. And hopefully he figures out his club situation, right? Because he has to, just like you talked about Stefan, kid that age, age 20, he, he needs minutes, needs experience, needs to play. He needs to get minutes.
0: Yep. And that's where you have to make the phone call to Mourinho and tell him, listen, you've got to play this kid. So. <laughs>
1: I speak fluent Portuguese, I speak, I speak fluent Portuguese, I can give him a call there.
0: There you go. You see, I knew I can count on you. Uh, finally, uh, let's go through the CONCACAF Octagon uh, table. I'm not surprised with Canada, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I thought John Herdman has done an amazing job with this men's national team. I know he was the women's national team head coach for a long time. He wanted to give the men's team an opportunity. I thought at the time it was a mistake for Canada Soccer to get rid of Octavio Zambrano. Past history, of course, with with Zambrano being an MLS. But I have to admit I was wrong. And At the moment, they're the only club, even the, the national team, I should say, undefeated in eight matches but I mean, my God, look at the talent they have and look at how they're doing it. It's not just Davies. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Canada has some good pieces, and I think the main thing with Herdman is he found a way to get the best out of his player pool, right? He doesn't have as much depth as Greg Berhalter has, for example, right? Yep. So, we can lose we can lose Christian Pulisic, and we still have so many good options, while Say they lose Alfonso Davies, it's a major blow for them, right? very big. But Herman has figured it out. He he's learned how to get the best of it. He's even making Canadians believe Oostakio is like this maestro in the midfield, like this superb player. And don't get me wrong, Oostakio is a very good player. But again, to add context, I even think Unis I think Eunice is better than Oostakio already. Even though many Canadians won't agree with that based off what they've seen, but. We've seen the Herdman get the best out of this team. Now, one thing I want to say is I don't think they are as good as the Canadians think, but they are better than we previously gave them credit for. I think that's the best way to put it. I think Canadians think a little bit too much of their team right now. Um, I still think they're worse than Mexico Uh, in normal circumstances. Mexico's form just has been horrible. And the United States, if we had played in that game, under normal circumstances, we had the whole Weston McKinney problem that definitely affects the group and not having Weston, right? It hurts the group a lot. Um, Pulisic was coming back from COVID. There was a lot going on with the U.S. national team that didn't work out for us also a midfield with cost and the jet. We know how that goes. We saw the Panama game as well. So I personally think that Canada is very good, because they have these super players, right? You look at Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Kyle Lahren, that we remember him in Orlando City, and he's been doing great in the Turkish League. Uh, a couple other players will stack it with, good. He's not as good as the Canadians think, but he's good. And then one of the super players he has that people started to give him notice. I talked about this guy. I first started noticing this guy, Tejon Buchanan, when New England knocked out Orlando City in the playoffs, not this year, the previous year, mm-hmm. and um, I looked at that, I'm like, dude, this guy is locking in Nani and supporting the offense, and he's dangerous. He's looking good. And then I was just like, okay, then I kind of forgot about Pedron, And then we went to the Olympic qualifying, and he was playing for Canada, and I started to watch them again. I was like, damn, this guy, again, I'm going to keep an eye on him this season for New England, and I did. And. I mean you probably saw what he did too oh. this year. And he's yeah. going to Belgium. Um so on Buchanan is another super player they have there usually playing on the right wing for Canada, right midfield sometimes. What a player too. So Alfonso Davies, Buchanan, Kyle Lair and Jonathan David are to me the big the big guys of this team and then you have some key components. Alistair Johnson's pretty good there in the back too, plays a good role, plays an MLS there. Um you got a couple options. And then the other options are not that great, in my opinion. they are players that probably wouldn't make it to the U.S. Men's National Team, like Mark Anthony Kaye. I don't think he would make it to our roster, but he's there. He's not a bad player. So they definitely lack depth when compared to the United States, and even in the starting 11. But Herdman knows his pieces very well, and he's found a way to get the best out of them.
0: So let me throw this at you. In four international games against the United States for Canada... Twice in the Nations League group stage, the Gold Cup group stage, and the World Cup qualifier. And I know they're going to go to Hamilton, Ontario, um, end of January, the U.S. Do you believe that John Herdman has outcoached Greg Berhalter?
1: Um, Absolutely. Uh, just, just put it, let's just put it this way. He's ahead of Greg Burhalter. Right in World Cup qualifying, which is the main competition, the Nations League, um, tough to say, right? Because even though we went through, we won one game, they won one game. Uh, Gold Cup, we got that 1-0 win, but Canada was better than us, and mm-hmm. they were dealing with a lot of injuries mid-game. So it's different when you deal with an injury the week before, when you have to adjust mid-game. Um, I believe Kyle Larin got injured that game. Akinola got injured that game. It's a little bit different for a coach when he has to adjust. And even though we also got that early goal and Canada played us, they just couldn't score because Matt Turner is fantastic. Uh, so, yes, he has our coach, Greg, right? Um, also in World Cup qualifying, he's ahead of us with less resources. Yep. He has less resources.
0: Yep, and I agree with you there. So what do we, what do we think here? For the final uh, four spots, top three go to uh, Qatar. The fourth position goes to the international playoff. Right now, Canada first, USA second, Mexico third, Panama in the fourth position. Is it going to end up like that? Or do you think there's going to be some some other team that's going to come out of nowhere and knock off one of these other uh, top four finishers, possibly?
1: So I think, I think the U.S. and Mexico will snag the, the first and second place. Um, I think Canada will drop. Uh, Canadians are going to get a rude awakening. In this, um, these last two camps, they forget they have four games in Central America. Four games in Central America. And we've known how they are. They're tough to play in the same way they made a tough environment for Mexico by playing freaking snow and whatever that weather was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, someone that, as someone that lived in Buffalo, I felt bad for Mexico in that game. But anyhow, that they're going to play four away games. They're up to an awakening right there. I still think Canada will make it to the guitar. Uh, now, will they hold on to that third spot? Possibly. I wouldn't be surprised if they fell off the fourth. Even though, yeah, man, saying this right now, people are going to say that I'm nuts. Um, and maybe I am. Maybe I'm completely wrong, right? We're, we're going to find out in three months, three or four months. But I, I think the U.S. and Canada, the U.S. and Mexico will get first and second.
0: There you go. And that's the tactical manager, Filippo Silva, joining me tonight. Filippo, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It's great to have you on. I've watched your uh, YouTube podcast uh, a couple of times. You do a great job, and I'm glad you were able to come on and talk about our national team and the rest of the Cockta-Caf region. Thank you very much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much, Dave.
0: Once again, Filippo Silva from the tactical manager video pod. Joining me uh, in a recorded interview uh, from last night and playing it for you today here. And that, my friends, officially stamps the end of the 2021 season. Uh, once again, I want to thank Filippo Silver for coming on the show. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you enjoyed it. Go to uh, Tactical Manager on YouTube. Put it into the uh, search bar. And he's got some pretty damn good shows there. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. Hope to have him one day on a, on a post-game show for World Cup qualifying, but he does his own show too. So uh, hopefully when you're done with his, you can listen to mine and vice versa. So we'll see what happens there. Um, there's something I want to say before I officially call it a night. Um You know, there are so many things going on in life. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, Especially with mine. Um, I've been going through a lot of issues physically and emotionally just to try and get through the day. Still hurting after the loss of my father but now with certain um surgeries i've had to go through you know it, it's been tough for me this year to you know try even get through a show cuz you just want to you know put on a good show and you try to put your problems on the back burner so you don't, don't you don't have to worry about it uh down the road i've had eye surgery to remove scar tissue away from my left eye, uh, from the retina in my left eye, and I'm going through another issue right now as I'm recovering from that, and uh, currently there's a cataract in this left eye, and so it's going to be a little while longer to get this stuff out of me, uh, of course, cataract surgery is coming up, but, you know... It, when you are not doing anything and you can't drive to get to your destination and you have to rely on the loved ones that gets you to point B from point A, it's tough. It's very tough. And I'll admit, there are days I <laughs> I feel like I don't want to do a show. Sometimes I feel like I'm failing, but I know I'm not because I have great audience and I have. Fantastic followers. And I want to thank you, my listeners, for being there for me. It's not easy, but I do want to thank all of you for being there for me. And I want to thank you for listening to my opinions about American soccer, either through the domestic leagues, our players playing internationally, or playing for the U.S. Men's and Women's National Team. So thank you very much for continuing to believe in me, and I can hope to continue this for the remaining, you know, for, for what, how long I continue to do this show. Once again, thanks to Filippo Silva, the tactical manager, for joining me uh, for this recorded interview. Hope to have him on sometime next season. I will talk to all of you next year. Please be careful. Please be, stay safe. Please get vaccinated. All, as I have said, since this show began for more than 10 years ago, please enjoy your football. Have a good night. Take care so long and bye bye for now.